get up, get, get up, get up. What's up, Mets fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Mets The Podcast. Uh, the cat's out of the bag a little bit. You see we are in a completely different spot, a completely different area. No longer in my office in Astoria. We are actually at City Field, and that is because we are happy to announce, the big announcement is that we are now the official podcast of the New York Mets, which is just still unbelievable. Shocking. I honestly, I literally can't believe it. I've had friends, family, people coming out of the woodwork this last weekend since it became official to like congratulate me. Congratulate us. Dude, we did a good job. Yeah. We got seen by the team that we talk about. Not a lot of people can say that. We've no. done a hell of a job and super excited for what is yet to come. We have so much more content. Nothing's changing. It's no. just going to be better. There's going to be more content. We're going to have player interviews with current players, former players. It's going to be a much better podcast, which I just can't wait to get going. I almost can't even believe it. We did such a good job on our own. High five. We're always good for a good high five there. And I think that's a perfect way to get into it. Guys, make sure you're following us on all our social media. Again, nothing's changing. At MetsTub, just more content. So Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and the YouTube channel. Make sure you're following us over there. If you're listening to us, Odyssey, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen, drop us a rating, drop us a review, share it. This is our first episode again with the Big League Boys. So make sure you give us some love. We really do appreciate it. And without further ado... Let's just jump right into it, because we have the Marlins series to talk about, in which the Mets took three out of four, which is nice. Not perfect, but it's nice. We're very happy with that. And exactly as we predicted. Going into the series, you saw that the Mets kind of had advantage generally over the team. We neglected to mention that the Marlins had some COVID issues. We're missing yeah. a couple of their starting players, so our apologies on that. But seeing the way the series stacked up, you're like, okay, four games, Sandy... Alcantara is pitching one of them. Let's win three of them. And that's exactly what the Mets did. That's exactly what the Mets did. And it started with game one. The bats came out hot. I mean, what a perfect way to start the series. A perfect way to start game one. This feels like a lifetime ago. I know. The four-game series are always <laughs> such a slog. They feel so long. But that's why you guys are listening to us, so you can remember what happened in game one. And the first thing that happened, first inning, I believe, right? Yeah, first inning. Francisco Lindor came up. for Nemo and Marte got on, as they do all the time, back-to-back. Seemed like they were on base with each other. Consistently, this entire series, this it entire year. felt like they hey, were on base every single at-bat. I know that wasn't the case, but that's what it felt like. And luckily for us Mets fans, Francisco Lindor's mom was in the stands, first time watching him play as a Met, which I didn't know that. That was a shocking stat to me. That was bizarre, almost like Carrasco a few weeks ago. His dad, first time watching him too. But he, she was out at the game, and Francisco Lindor in his first at-bat with his mom watching him as a New York Met hits an absolute shot to center field, three-run homer, and kind of breaks the door open right from the beginning. And I believe they flashed on Saturday. That was the longest home run of Lindor's career, right? As a Met. Longest home run Francisco Lindor's ever hit as a Met, which, love that. Yeah, no, absolutely love that. He swung the bat really well after maybe being a little bit of a slump. That's just what Francisco Lindor does, and it's great to see him possibly breaking out of it. And the offense was just clicking from the start, which was great. It did. It was clicking from the start, but then they also like kind of chilled for a few innings, like the Mets do like to do, and then just went completely ballistic again. In the seventh inning. Yeah, and in between all that, we had Carlos Carrasco, who has been so reliable for this team, so great. Where would we be without Carlos Carrasco this year? Nowhere. I mean, not nowhere. This team would still be solid, but the fact that we've had his like steadying, veteran presence in, in, in during the time, especially during Max Scherzer's stead on the IEL and Jake DeGrom, of course, it's, it's so comforting to have him here every fifth day. That was a guy you talked about at the beginning of the season. X-Factor. You've been money with the X-Factors recently. Pitching, man. But are we going to do a breakdown now or go back to the No, seven? let's talk about Carrasco. All right. Well, Carrasco in this game, six and a third innings, eight hits allowed, three earned, two walks, seven strikeouts. Fourth time this year he's pitched into the seventh inning. As you can probably guess, that's more than he did all of last year already. I think he only did it once or twice last year. He's just a completely different pitcher. He's so much better. He's healthy. He's healthy. He's, that he's, is a huge part He's okay. Of it. His four-seam fastball and slider each led the way in this one. There was most thrown pitches. 
Each of them had seven whiffs, which very good number for Carrasco to sit at. He threw each of those 32% of the time. And with that, it was the second highest usage rate on that slider all season. And his third straight start where he's been fastball slider at the top. We're mentioning this a lot during May and April, that Carrasco is still kind of finding his way, working the fastball, the sinker, the changeup, and that slider together. And now we're seeing that the cream has risen to the top, and he is fastball slider, something that it seems like a lot of these Mets pitchers are going to, I'm sure, under the tutelage of Jeremy Hefner, too. Yeah, we've seen David Peterson, who we'll talk about later in this, really utilize the four-seam and the slider, which is it's a good combo. There's a reason everybody in Major League Baseball is doing it. It's one of the most effective combos you can have. Slider's one of the hardest pitches to hit in the league. And overall for Carrasco, just to, again, just hammer home how good he's been this year. He's in the 98th percentile of all pitchers in the league in chase rate. So that's Sick. how often you get a hitter to swing at the pitch outside of the strike zone. Only 2% of pitchers in baseball better than Carrasco. And hilariously, he is tied for the major league lead with eight wins. Which is a nonsense stat. It is. also, we'll take it. Because when it's good for us, we'll be happy to talk about it. It is a nonsense stat. But at the end of the day, this shows that he's pitching relatively deep into games. They're playing good defense behind him. And the bullpen pitches well when he after he pitches. So... Not everything that goes into a win is credited to the starting pitcher, but you have to get the team in position to get you that win, and Carrasco is doing that almost every single time out. Dude, we told you guys last year it's going to be okay. Carrasco wasn't healthy. It's going to be a little bit of a longer process, especially with his age, and we couldn't have been more right. He has been so big for this team. Carrasco had two injuries in two complete different parts of his body. They're both like majorly important to the pitching process. Bone chips in an elbow and a bad hamstring. That's like top to bottom in the kinetic chain. Like, how are you going to throw a pitch like that? Yeah, no. I mean, it's it's tough. It's tough. But luckily for us, Carrasco pitched well. And then, like you said, in the seventh inning, the bats just exploded. The team just could not stop hitting. Pete, grand slam, second of the season, which I don't know how many guys have hit a grand slam twice in a season. Alonzo's actually a third player in baseball this year to have two grand slams. Got that from our new fun producer, John. Yeah, no, it's a good stat. Great stat. He's having an unbelievable year. He leads the league in RBIs. I mean, I don't know how many times we have to say it, but he's one of the best hitters in all of baseball, and he needs to vote for him in the All-Star game. Please. Vote for him. We need him to start. Also, I want to shout out Pablo Lopez, who's generally a fantastic pitcher, but he's basically now had the two worst starts of his entire career against the Mets in City Field. Which is awesome. Yeah. We love to see that because normally we get diced up by these kind of guys, but the Mets have found a way to get to Pablo Lopez, and they did in this game. The Grand Slam was huge. Sorry, Pablo. We like you, but we like winning better. And before closing out Friday night's game, we do want to shout out, it was Pride Night at the ballpark, and Taiwan Walker did a great thing pregame. It's awesome. Went to the team store and covered the expenses of people buying Pride gear, which is really cool. And also Mark Hanna kind of... Uh, he threw out a very nice tweet before the game, first of all, kind of uh, being very inclusive, being an ally, and also his walk-up songs on Friday. Not sure if anybody know this, but it was Born This Way, Vogue, and I Want to Dance with Somebody. Which, I mean, you got to love that. When the team's getting involved in stuff, it's always great, and it's great to see that these guys, I mean, the team looks great together. They seem to have great chemistry, and it's awesome to see that these guys care about the fans as well. Care about everything. He's just very inclusive, nice guys. You see such a great, wonderful, like warm group of players here who's also playing incredibly good baseball. Yeah, they played great in Game 1, and it was a great way to start the series. A nice win in Game 1, which leads us now into Game 2. And Game 2 was a little bit weird for us because this was the day that we were technically officially announcing that we're the New York Mets podcast. But it also wasn't because we were still promo shooting things, which you guys will see those videos as well. But we were here bright and early for this one. This was one of our longer days at the stadium. Bright and early for a Saturday. It was, what, like 11.30? Well, for a YouTube man. Yeah, it's bright and early true. for me. Yeah, bright and early for me, too. Now I got to get used to working another real job as well. But 
just doing a promo shoot on the field that you guys hopefully have seen now. If you haven't, it's kind of hilarious. They dress us up like as ball players, put on eye black for the first time in over 10 years. Yeah, I'll take the tip of the cap on that one. That was all my idea right yeah. there. Very, yeah, this was our idea in production. I mean, well, we're, st we're still the creatives here. Yeah, I don't know if you guys caught it too. If you don't follow me on Twitter, at DraftNickMark, follow James as well, plug yours. At James Shiano. But uh, I was getting memed because I posted a selfie on the field wearing eye black, and it did look like I thought I was on the team. It was it was really funny. Whoever made that, I forgot who it was, but it was a really good meme. I'm it sure was it wasn't Ivan and my fan, it was just a hater. Yeah. And like I was just hilariously like scrolling late at night when I got home. I was like so dead. I was asleep by like 11 o'clock on Saturday, which is insane for me, but just scrolling through all of like the mentions and stuff, I saw that crazily my mother liked the tweet of the person making fun of Mark. She's very new to Twitter. She just followed recently to get on top of the Mets stuff stuff. What's going on, Mrs. Shiano? It, the second I saw that, I like threw my head back, exalting laughter. It was freaking hilarious. I was getting cooked by everybody because it looked like I came to the game in a full jersey with the hat and put on eye black, which if I did do that, everyone has the right to make fun of me for it. The fact that I didn't though, I see you guys out there trolling me. Anyway, it was a crazy day. We were on the pregame show with Mike and Emily, which was awesome as well. Never done that. We no. did pretty well, too. I thought we were going to maybe mess up because you could hear the delay from the audio. Very awkward because, yeah, there's like a one-second delay. You're talking to a microphone. I barely ever spoke to a microphone ever besides ones that are on the table and I'm holding myself. But, yeah, we did well on the Jumbotron. I feel like we got a little, little bit of pup from that. Had a nice drink, too, to celebrate. A good yeah. toast. And it was a great start to the day. And also a great start to a Mets win at the end of the day. But the Mets got on the board in the second here with McNeil, RBI single, which was awesome. That's weird for us. Usually we get on the board, on the board in the first. Quick first inning. Very, Very quick, quick first, first inning. inning. But McNeil, who has just been so, so good this year. I don't think he'd be, you know, under, under understated is the right word, I think, right? It can't be understated. Yeah, understated. He's been unbelievably incredible. I keep tweeting back out that he's back, and he really is. Then so clutch with the consistent RBIs. We shouted out his batting average, runners, and scoring position on the last episode, and his general RBI total. But it's just every single time he has an opportunity to succeed, it feels like he is. And, like, they keep shifting against him, too, which is also bizarre, because at some point when our team's going to learn you probably shouldn't shift Jeff McNeil, he's hitting, what, like 390, I think you told me? Yeah, I grabbed some of the stats against the shift so far from McNeil this year. Hitting 385 against the shift. That's up from 280 last year it's when crazy. he really struggled. And his wall was up over 400. And that's one thing we talked about, too, last year when we were doing the podcast, was that McNeil hitting into the shift was tough because teams were shifting him. And it seems like he has made the adjustment, which we heard him talk about earlier in the year. So I'm going to hit it where they're not. He's, I don't care about power. If I hit a home run, I hit a home run. That means I did something really well, but I'm not going to try to do that. And it's really helping this team, like, an unbelievable amount. Keeps the lineup moving. It makes the lineup so much deeper that guys like him and Marky Cheerios, Mark Canna, are able to just keep the line moving. Also, for our new listeners, we have a couple, like, stupid nicknames. One of them being Marky Cheerios or Mark Canna because he's, like, really just stable and kind of boring, but he's always there when you need him, which is exactly how we describe him. He gives you good fiber. He's fibrous. Very fibrous. He is fiber. In the past, we called guys oatmeal, and that's something I stole from a different baseball podcast called Rates and Barrels by Eno Saris and Derek Van Riper, but you call guys oatmeal when they're like... They're not exciting, and they're not like sexy in any type of way, but you need them because they help you poop. They help move the line along, and that's exactly what Mark Hanna has done for this team this year, driven in in the second inning by Jeff McNeil. Yep. Love love a bottom-of-the-order rally. Absolutely love it. Love it. Especially and when a love a, Je love a Jeff McNeil hit off a left-handed pitcher. Yes, because he had been struggling, I feel like before this series, more so against lefties. This series, he got a bunch of hits off of Trevor Rogers and, of Bra course. Braxton Garrett. Braxton Garrett is fine. He th he's a kitchen sink guy. He's got a lot of pitches. He got his fastball, slider, curveball, and change up. The fastball sits like 90-ish. Yeah, 90-ish. 90-ish. Generous. He's, he's smart, cerebral, kitchen sink again, but happy to hit this guy, especially the next inning because Francisco Lindor, the second day in a row with mom in the stands, 
hit another home run. Mama and Lindor, where are you at? We need you at every single game. I don't I don't know if we have the pull to can make you guys, Can you guys get her season tickets? Francisco, I, he's got a pretty good contract. I'm sure he could figure out a way yeah, to get Yeah, right, her there has here. to be a way for Mrs. Lindor seemed, to come to the park more often. It seems like whenever she's here, in the two or three games that she was, he played out of his mind. And I think when he spoke to reporters after the game, after game one, he talked about he plays the game for his mom. That's who his like, inspiration is. That's who his role model is. And you could tell by the way he was playing, he just felt like there was a little extra pep in his step. And this was very cool because Francisco Lindor, before Friday night, had not gotten an RBI since the streak ended, and he closed his finger in the door in San Francisco. And now this was the second of a three-game little mini-RBI streak for Francisco to get hot again. Yeah, no, he's been absolutely incredible. And then we talked about Taiwan, you know, doing great stuff in Game 1. Let's actually talk about his performance in Game 2, because in Game 2, he was phenomenal. A guy who... At times, we were a little bit nervous about just because we didn't really know what path Taiwan was going to take as a pitcher, but this new splitter has really just completely changed my outlook on him. Taiwan Walker, over the last month or so, is literally a completely different pitcher, and we have to, again, tip the cap to Jeremy Hefner, who I cannot wait to have on this show. I don't even think I'll be able to talk to him. I, that's like a weird one for us that will probably be like, Jeremy Hefner. And like most people will be like, yeah, he's a pitching coach. And be like, yeah, but look at what he's done to the pitching. The pitching's been great. Like, I'm going to be more starstruck talking to Jeremy Hefner and I will be with like Lindor. <laughs> I don't know about that. That's one. not true. Not I, I, take, I take that one back. But maybe, I don't know, somebody else. But Taiwan Walker, this was a Taiwan Walker show in game two. We got those few runs early. That was all we needed. One of his best starts I would say his entire Mets tenure. Which we've also been at some of his best starts. The Cubs thinking. game last yep. May. That's uh, what I was our, our friend about. Ernie, subtape underscore, biggest Jonathan VR fan on earth, another inside joke. His birthday last year had his Jonathan VR jersey. He wanted one so bad he customized it from the team store. Everyone tweeted at him how much he loves Jonathan VR. He's struggling a little bit this year, VR. So make sure you pump up Ernie because that's his favorite player. He probably feels bad about it. But Taiwan Walker against the Marlins on Saturday, six and two thirds innings pitched, two hits, one walk. And a ridiculous nine strikeouts, one earned run. And he retired 18 in a row from a John Burry, the infield single to start the first inning to a Jazz Chisholm walk to start the seventh inning. Did you see the stat that they flashed on the board, too? I think they said at one point he retired 30 of the last 34, yes. dating back to the last game, which is so disgustingly good for a guy who probably coming into this year, a lot of Mets fans, and honestly just around the baseball world, maybe didn't think would have as big of a role as he is with this Mets team. But now with this splitter, I mean, Taiwan, he, we called him a bulldog last year. He's back to that bulldog form. He's even better than a bulldog, man. This fastball split change, Taiwan. This is an entirely new guy, entirely new guy. 19 strikeouts over his last two starts. Be hard-pressed to find a back-to-back -back start sequence in Taiwan's career where he even matched that number. And another thing, big thing from this start, I tweeted out on Saturday is he is incorporating his slider significantly more than even he was a month ago when he was still pitching well. It's the third consecutive start that Taiwan Walker has set a single game season high in slider usage. So that means that for three starts in a row, it was the most sliders he had thrown in a game this year to that point. He's done that again, three starts in a row. And Saturday was only the third time in his career that that slider was his most thrown pitch in a single game, with the other two instances coming last year during the first half. And we all remember how hot he was then. Well, you talk about the first half last year. Taiwan was an all-star last year, and he might be pitching better this year. We talk about all the Mets all-star guys that you should be voting for on the hitting side, but I think there's a world where Taiwan Walker could sneak into the all-star game again with how well he's pitching if he keeps it up. I don't know if I would say that Taiwan Walker is pitching better right now this year. I would say that his success is more sustainable That's fair. than it was this time last That's year. Because as he was pitching very well last year, for our longtime listeners, we were cautioning people that he was giving up a lot of hard contact and just a lot of contact in general, and that the two-seam fastball has kind of lost its way in the modern major league game. We've yep. seen a couple teams, especially the Yankees, really find ways to incorporate two-seamers and sinkers back into dominant pitching repertoires, but 
the way that Taiwan has now converted his repertoire to being four-seam fastball, slider, and split change, the guy is literally on a completely different level, and I could not be more confident in him moving forward, which is a far cry from where we were, even in the offseason. Yeah, it's just you always had to be cautiously optimistic. Right now, we're very optimistic. Everything that he's doing makes him a completely different pitcher, and we can't wait to see what he does the rest of the year because he really has been so great. Yes, and just to wrap this game up, it was a little frustrating that after we got on Braxton Garrett early, chased him, I believe it was in the fourth or fifth inning, we were unable to jump on the Marlins bullpen at all the rest of this game. We only had two hard-hit balls off the Marlins bullpen for five full innings. The Marlins will pull out names like Jimmy Yacobonis, uh, Lewis Head, right? Lewis yeah. Head, that's a guy that you like. But these are people that regular baseball fans probably have never heard of, and for good reason. They're on the Marlins, one of the you know weaker teams in baseball. They're not necessarily the highest of quality, and the Mets just couldn't really get anything done. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. No, but the Marlins bullpen this year is not like the Marlins bullpens of years past. Like, they actually do have talent there. They seem to actually have a plan with guys. Yeah, like they are adjusting, they're smarter. They're adjusting guys' repertoires. They're teaching guys new pitches. They're doing the things developmentally that the good, smart teams do. And it, I don't want to say it's good to see them doing that because I'd love them to continue being a doormat yes. forever. But it seems like the Nationals have very, very uh, willfully usurped that role from them. But also this game, not hitting the ball very hard, the Mets only had four strikeouts in this one. And this that is the Mets this year, for yep. better or worse. They're going to make a lot of contact. Might not always be hard contact. Might not always be what we call a quality contact, but it's a lot of contact. They're putting the ball in play, and you're seeing if they will do something wrong. This is something that we talked about during the offseason. We talked about Ben Zausmer and Billy Epler putting together a roster of guys with a purpose, it seems like. And if you think about Mets teams in the past, we always talked about runners in scoring position being a huge, huge problem for this Mets team. They couldn't drive in runs when guys got in the right positions, and that's because they were striking out a lot. They weren't getting good quality hits. Right now, this Mets team doesn't strike out, hits the ball hard, walks. I mean, they're doing everything a good team should be doing. We also have kind of learned going through this year that there's a lot. there are a lot of teams in baseball that are just not really that sound defensively. no. no. And you kind of just put it on them to screw something up. And a lot, sometimes they will. And if they do, you take it and you move on. And like we said, the Mets just kind of did enough in this game offensively. Drew Chains, our boy Drew Smith, because of course he rocked the chains. So now his nickname is Drew Chains. For those of you who are new to the podcast, we, we love nicknames here. He was great again. We're huge fans of Drew Smith. Hope one day we can talk to him. Big fans forever. Yeah, he's just, he's, he's great. Where would this team again be in the bullpen without Drew Smith? And then Edwin, it got a little bit, it got a little dicey there, a little bit, you know, nervous. I was particularly nervous too because everything was being announced by us. Yeah. And the worst thing that could have happened on that day was the Mets lose from an Edwin Diaz blown save on the Miserable. day that we announced the podcast. And I'm not going to say the word, but I, I was really worried that we would have gotten that moniker. I was too, but luckily it didn't happen. Also, just a little, little weird that this was the second straight start where Edwin did allow like a litany of base runners, a second straight. Second straight appearance where Edwin allowed kind of like a litany of base runners. We saw the craziness from the Milwaukee game on Thursday. This one, again, we had some insurance runs. So giving a one run wasn't really the end of the world. But as Edwin does, he still managed to strike three batters out. That brought him up to the highest strikeout rate of any reliever in baseball. And it gave his slider the most strikeouts of any singular pitch for a reliever all year with 39. Just Edmund Diaz's slider has struck out 39 batters this year. Those trumpets, man. They just get him going. He's been absolutely disgusting and... He, I don't know if there have really been many 
maybe one better closer in all baseball. Yeah, probably one exactly better yeah. closer. I mean, maybe two now because the second Yankee mentioned Clay Holmes is ridiculous. Like, but he does things like that shouldn't even be humanly possible. But Edwin, for a guy who a lot of people I think were losing hope on early in his Mets career, I think he couldn't have flipped it any better. Yeah, and we were talking to a fan like during the sequence. Remember? Oh yeah. And he was like moaning and groaning. Actually, no, this was this was in the in the bathroom line after. Mm, yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, he was talking about the fact that like, oh, Edwin, you know, he did this, but. This fan who we, I met in the Porter Pie line has the utmost confidence in Edwin. Said he's been one of the most important players in this team. We all should. We should all have the utmost confidence yes. in Edwin. He's proven it. He's been great. And then after the game, uh, we saw Jazz Chisholm get thrown out in the ninth inning on what was a questionable strike call. Might yeah. have been a little in. Maybe not as much as the Marlins announcers led you on to believe. Yeah, the Marlins broadcast was kind of blowing it out of proportion. Jazz tweeted out terrible. A fan replied saying, you talking about your stats against left-handed pitching or the call. And Jazz replied with talking about your mama, which Jazz is one of the most exciting players in baseball, whether you're a Met fan or not. you got to appreciate the guy. He's someone that I will reluctantly call the coolest player in baseball. Sadly, it's on technically a rival, even though I don't know if the Marlins are rivals with the Mets. Yeah, They're know. in the same division. I get that. But Jazz Chisholm comes from our generation. He's yes. basically about our age. And we grew up, the second time he's even used the Yamama joke this year, from the time where he got plunked. Yeah. And he said, drill your mama. We grew up on Yo Mama jokes. We had the Yo Mama show on MTV. We were ripping Yo Mama jokes in shout elementary out, school. Shout out Wilmer Valderrama. Yes. Which, wow. that's a name. That that's a name. show as well. But, yeah, Yo Mama jokes are always great. Jazz is just one of the great young players in the game. Like I said, even if you're, you know, a Mets fan, you can appreciate what he does. He's He watches my YouTube videos. That's crazy. That is crazy. He's fun. He's a lot of fun. Need more players in the league like Jazz. And then did you catch, because Lewin Diaz, who I'm a huge fan of Lewin Diaz too, just as a player in general, but Oddly. did you catch that his stuff didn't make it when he got called up, so he had no glove, no bats, no anything, and the first base coach just started beating the hell out of his glove. First base coach for the Marlins, Keith Johnson, and that brought our own Keith, Keith Hernandez, Mets broadcaster, to... Whatever's more intense than a cringe yeah. is what Keith was doing, just being so uncomfortable by the way that first base club was being mangled and manhandled by the bat. Which was an interesting scene to see. Game two, though, another win in the books, so the Mets at least split the series. But as we know, we want to win the series. It ends up being okay, but game three was a pivotal one. Pivotal one just because, and we marked this before the series, you're facing Sandy Alcantara, who is literally... One of the best pitchers in baseball. He's probably the Cy Young favorite right now in the National League. He's probably pitching the best. He's the best healthy pitcher in the National League right now, I think I'd say. He's gone like seven innings plus in almost all of his starts. We talked about that with Walker Buehler last year. He's a workhorse. He's got great stuff. And he's really, really hard to hit well. Sandy's averaging almost eight innings per start over his last five starts. That's disgusting. There's no one else in baseball that does anything close to that. He is a horse in the truest sense of the word. But somehow, in some way, our guy, Chris Passett, was going toe-to-toe with him from the beginning in this dogfight of starting pitchers. Yeah, which is nice to see because I know I feel like a few starts ago people were talking about Bassett struggling a little bit, and the last two now, he's been lights out. He's been great. Talk about our pitching being so important, especially with Scherzer and DeGrom on the IL, coming back soon hopefully. Chris Bassett has just been one of the best pickups, I think, in all of baseball this entire year. A steady hand. Bassett's been very steady, just like we mentioned Carrasco, just like we mentioned Taiwan since he altered his repertoire. Very, very steady. And trading zeros with Sandy Alcantara for five innings is no easy feat. None at all. No, not at all. The Bassett hounds were out. (laughs) I had to do that for the first episode. He's just, he's awesome. He's great. And like you said, going toe-to-toe with one of the best pitchers in baseball is awesome. It just would have been nice if the Mets could have scored a few more runs, especially early. Yeah, but... 
ironically and kind of sadly, we did scratch off the first run in this pitcher's duel, and that gave me way too much confidence that we were going to find a way to pull this one out. Yeah, we talked about Lindor, the first two games having a great series. He drove in the first run after a two-out triple by Starling Marte, where he really liked Huffing that it. one out. He was, he was running, especially for a guy who's had problems with the hamstrings and the quad and all quad. that. It's great to see that he was running probably the best he's ran all year. And Lindor just fighting off a tough pitch from Sandy, getting a little single, a little doinker up the middle, get the run in, situational hitting from Francisco Lindor. Really Runner, love to see it. Runners in scoring position, doing it again. Confidence. But... We came back for the bottom of the seventh inning, and then things were not so great kind of instantly. Miguel Rojas, one of Mark's highest-ranked shortstops year after year <laughs> in his YouTube channel, got a leadoff single. Jacob Stallings got a one-out single. And at this point, Chris Bass had just crossed the 100-pitch threshold. The Marlins were getting through their third time through the order, and it was a moment where a lot of the um, the Twitter managers and the hindsight artists did think that he could, Chris Bass could have been yanked. Well, let's be one of those because I think this is a legitimate discussion to have. Should Bassett have come out for the inning? Should he have been taken out after the first hitter, the second hitter? I mean, what would you have done? Because I, I know my answer. I'm taking him out after the Miguel Rojas leadoff single. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. 100% after that first single, I would have taken him out. But I also don't fault Buck for leaving him in. Maybe after the second single, I would have really taken a hard look at it. But Bassett was cruising so hard in this game. He had season-high nine strikeouts. The like, balls weren't particularly scorched either. I think the Marlins' this entire game had about four hard-hit balls. Like, it was just kind of balls finding holes. I understand this is a little bit of... What you're going to have with a more old-school type team, old-school type manager, you want to nurse your starter through it, especially one of your more veteran starters, especially someone who's been one of your more reliable starters, someone who's consistently pitched late into games more so than most of your other starters this year. It just did not work out. No, it didn't. And unfortunately, the Marlins started chipping away. And it came with a big swing of the bat from the legend. I want to say before we talk about Jared Encarnacion and his massive Major League debut, one of the most impressive Major League debuts literally statistically ever. Yeah. He had an at-bat against Brian De La Cruz, who Mets fans remember from last September having a lot of big at-bats against us. We talk about Met killers a lot. Brian De La Cruz is a guy who seemingly has only ever played well against the New York Mets. I don't think it's seemingly. I think it's literal. But <laughs> He's just <laughs> unbelievable when he comes against the orange-blue. This at-bat, Chris Bassett had really seemed to have lost it because he was only throwing sinkers and sliders at this point, and those are the two pitches that Bassett leans on the most. And you can kind of see he was trying to nip edges. He was not really hitting them high-low, inside or outside, and... The two singers he did get over the plate were literally right down the middle. Yeah. And Brian De La Cruz put a good hack on one of them. The 3-2 pitch was a slider he completely lost the grip of. And you saw him kind of like, not wince, but kind of just you could see frustration in Bassett as he came off the mound, knowing he was going to get yanked and knowing that he was leaving Seth Lugo in a less than ideal situation. Yep, going up against Gerard Encarnacion. Uh, no relation to Edwin or Juan, I don't believe. I, yeah. I th- How we shout out Juan during this, because I think they're like similar size. Yeah, uh, big guys. Gerard is a massive yeah. human being. And we kind of saw a little bit of that. As we said, the legend of Gerard Encarnacion was born against the Mets. He had a grand slam, smoked it to right field. I mean, that ball got out and felt like under five seconds. A hurry. And this was a situation for Seth Lugo where he did get behind Encarnacion early. He tried to get him with a first pitch curveball that yeah. did not catch the zone. It basically hung. We're almost kind of happy that Encarnacion did not swing at that. Well, I mean, we, we gave him yeah. a grand slam, so maybe I know. maybe we would have liked that. I guess that was the worst-case scenario anyway. And then there was a 3-1 pitch that kind of looked like it wasn't even a strike. I believe it was a fastball on the outer edge that yeah. um, kind of gave Lugo a gift, which also wound up biting the Mets in the ass because it wound up being a grand slam, but you hate that. And then afterwards, Seth Lugo just, did. he just, it, I don't want to say he was shaking, but just things 
Things went wrong. The wheels he, kind of fell off a little bit. Yeah, he ends up walking Jazz Chisholm, who got driven in on a John Birdie double. Talk about another Met killer, John Birdie. Uh, another guy who, I mean, this year he's actually playing a little bit better. He forced all in bases in the first two games of the series. Yeah, John Birdie is a pest. If you're a Mets fan, you know all about John Birdie being annoying for the past three, four years that he's been on the Marlins. Lugo has been so hit or miss this year. Yeah. He's had, if you look through his game logs, he either gives up two runs or no runs. That's pretty much it. I know a lot of people are kind of on Lugo a little bit. Uh, we know in game four he ended up not being there because of the paternity thing. There's yeah. a very good chance he just had bigger things on his mind. Like, oh, my wife is pregnant, could be having a baby. He's been so great for this team, I would not lose faith yet. I definitely would not lose faith. And we've been kind of help telling people to stick with Seth Lugo through this because it's kind of just a little bit more of an execution thing than a stuff thing. His stuff, by all metrics, is still where it has always been. It's just a matter of, I think, sequencing, a matter of which pitches he's throwing, and just a matter of... Command, and you fall behind a guy 3-1 with power, with the bases loaded. You don't leave yourself that much room for error anymore. No, and I will say this. Something the Mets have done all year long, which was really nice, is they did answer back immediately. McNeil, Jeff McHitts got a double, and followed by our boy Luis Guillorme, King Louie, getting a single. But it just, it just ended there. The Mets tried to chip back. This was one of the few times that they couldn't, but it really did feel like another game where the Mets were going to somehow sneak this one away at that moment. Yeah, and a term that we've dubbed on this podcast over the last few months, poop fest. We usually say the Mets like to have one poop fest per series. This wasn't that. We didn't really have one this series. This was a game we lost, but I wouldn't really say that the Marlins played better than us. They, they put the bat on the ball one time when they really needed to. They Literally. only had four hard-hit balls, like we mentioned earlier, the entire game. Lindor had three on his own. It's tough luck loss. That happens. Gerard Encarnacion, literally. I mean, he threw out Nito on that ball to right field that he smoked. Third inning. And second in the third inning. Gerard Encarnacion is the first player since 1901, so essentially in the history of baseball. because Since we've tracked baseball statistics. Yeah, who cares about prior to 1900. To have a grand slam and an outfield assist in his Major League debut. And, oh, just throw a stolen base on top of that as well. Ridiculous. It happens. 162 games. There's going to be some crazy stuff that goes on. Yeah. The Mets, at the end of the day, we got a good performance out of Bassett. That's where I'll take the positives from that game and we lost to one of the best pitchers in baseball i think right now the pitcher in baseball is pitching the best yeah without a doubt and that brings us to game four with a chance to either tie the series break even 2-2 or win it 3-1 and that is a big difference i feel like in a four game series that 2-2 3-1 difference is huge massive difference massive difference to the team massive difference to the standings and massive difference to the way the fans feel after a series against the marlins a home series where you saw two wins and then you saw the mets lose a game that people were upset about because there's this kind of bullpen narrative brewing about the Mets, which I don't really think is actually that true. No. Because right now the Mets' bullpen has the second-highest strikeout rate in baseball and the 12th-lowest ERA. So I think this bullpen overall is still at least in, like, the 60th percentile-ish of bullpens in baseball and getting, hopefully, one of their better pitchers coming back in the next few weeks in Trevor May. This is not an area that we want to build on, but it still left people feeling a little bit like we needed to do something on Monday to end this series. And the Mets did. They got it started like they have almost every game this year. In the first inning, Nimmo scorched a double off of Trevor Rogers, who's been struggling this year. Yeah. Marte smoked the ball, reached on an error, and then Lindor single, mm-hmm. and the Mets were cooking right there. Canna, RBI, walk with the bases loaded. Pete and JD did struggle a little bit. They struck out, and I was kind of getting a little bit nervous. But as Mark Canna has done seemingly since the beginning of June, he has just continued to get on base. He has been one of the best in baseball. Like you just said, Mark, Mets were tacking on runs consistently. We tacked on two more in the fourth after a J.D. Davis walk, Jeff McNeil double, Eduardo Escobar sack fly scoring J.D., and Trevor Rogers wild pitch scoring McNeil. But something a little unfortunate, Jeff McNeil came up after kind of a hectic trip around the bases. 
kind of just grabbing at that hamstring, which is something I really, really did not want to see today. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking because he's been so vital to this team all year long. You look at a lot of their big innings. You look at look at their big rallies. Jeff McNeil is at the middle of it. The dude just puts the ball in play consistently. And, I mean, he does it the best in baseball, arguably. Or he's at the end of it being a guy who is so skilled at getting in runners with two outs. Yeah. So one of the best in baseball at that, too. No stat to prove that, but I'm going to say it. Hit against the shift. He got the double here. We talked about it earlier, how great he's been against the shift. When will teams learn? But we also don't care. We don't want you to learn. Keep being dumb. Well, I mean, I have a feeling that Jeff McNeil, if teams started not shifting him again, he would start becoming pull-happy Jeff again and just put everything in between first and second base. Yeah, probably, honestly. <laughs> you're right. He's, just, he's, <laughs> so, he's so good with the bat. Like, he controls it so well that he can basically put it wherever he wants. And we know how good of a golfer he is. Great golfer. Yeah. One of the, probably, I don't know about the rest of the Mets, but you got to assume he's one of the best. I, I would hope so. And then just tacking out another run, Pete Alonso had a sacrifice fly the inning after to make this game 4-0. This was the Mets' second sacrifice fly during this game. If anybody was with us last year, <laughs> you remember us harping on the fact that the Mets were incapable of getting any sacrifice flies. There was a while during the dog days of the summer that it looked like the Mets were in contention for having the least sacrifice flies ever in a Major League Baseball season. They got over that number, luckily. I believe that number was 18. The yes. Mets wound up around 23, but... The Mets now have 27 sacrifice flies on the season. That is already more than they had all of last year with 23. And what does that indicate to you guys as fans? They're just playing better baseball. This isn't necessarily like a success thing, like the best teams have more sacrifice flies, but it shows that like the process is good, something that we talk about a lot on this podcast. They're getting in those guys from third base with less than two outs, which is huge. Another big part of it is guys getting to third base with less than two outs, and the Mets weren't doing last year. This Pete Alonso sacrifice fly... This was right after another inning where Nimmo and Marte got on to start an inning with nobody out. Francisco Lindor hit a fly ball, and Marte, very cerebrally, tagged from second to third with only one out to allow himself to score on Pete's fly ball. Yeah, I mean, they've literally had the fifth best success rate scoring runners from third with less than two outs entering today. So that's elite. New team. New team. Completely new team, completely new players. We see it on the field every single game. Absolutely. And all this was very good, but... Something that made it very much better is that David Peterson was very on on Monday afternoon, one of what I thought was his most impressive starts ever in his career. It was a weird one, especially being in the stadium, to see him kind of constantly get guys in position on base, like first and second. It felt like almost every other inning they were getting on, but he was then able to limit it. Well, literally in this game, every inning besides the fourth, at least two batters did reach base against David Peterson. Crazy. But the other side of that is he was a whiff god today. 19 whiffs, second most in a single start for Peterson's entire career, with the most being a 10-strikeout game in September of 2020 against Atlanta. Nine of those whiffs came on the slider, and that pitch was very, very gross all afternoon. Got the Pitching Ninja treatment. Shout out, Pitching Ninja. I think a little bit of that was because this was the only game going on. Probably. On a Monday afternoon, but the slider was still gross anyway. Tweeted out the video, just especially that back foot. That back foot slider has been so, so, so important to David Peterson's development, and the fact that Teams can stack the lineup with righties against him, and he can use that pitch still as an out pitch, still as a weapon, and still as a whiffable pitch. That's all you need. And this is the third most slider whiffs that Peterson's ever had in a game. So just keep harping on the fact that this slider has changed David Peterson's outlook tremendously, and along with the fastball that he's now using instead of his old sinker. And real quick, just for the new listeners, because I know we've talked about whiff rate a lot this episode, yes, just give a little insight as to why whiff rate is so important. Whiff rate is... As many times as a player swings and misses at a pitch over the amount of pitches they swung at in general. So you're seeing the fact that pitchers, with this pitch from Peterson, hitters are offering at it 
And as much as they're offering at it, they're swinging and missing at a high rate. And as we know, less balls in plays, better for the pitcher. Better for the pitcher. And that's exactly what David Peterson did today. He's a completely new pitcher, and I really love the way he's looking. Love it. And another big thing about Peterson's development is something you alluded to before with the having constant trouble and getting out of it. Peterson yep. is a guy in the past who we've seen, kind of similar to Stephen Matz, get kind of like wear his emotions on his sleeve. Yep. And it, that seems like he's really, really put that behind him so far this year. We mentioned there were at least two men who reached base in every inning but one on Monday. One of those innings, I think there was double play. Another one, I think John Brady got picked off, too. Yes, yeah, great so, pickoff move. Yeah, so it wasn't like there was like men on constantly, constantly, constantly. But in this game, the Marlins were 0 for 7 with runners in scoring position against David Peterson. And going back from his last four starts, opposing batters are 2 for 19 with runners in scoring position against David Peterson. This man is bearing down when the going gets tough, and he is executing. And also with that, bearing down, David Peterson pitched his entire game with the impending birth of his child. Yeah, I mean, a little bit of pressure on him, too, to pitch right? well. There was even, like, an idea, there was even possibility that he wasn't going to be able to pitch this game today because of how close his life, his wife was to labor. So shout-out David Peterson for doing everything he had to to get on the mound today and doing everything he has to with his family now. Adovino came in after him, relieved him, and Adovino has sneaky been good this year. You asked me during the game to guess his ERA, and I said 4-1. Yes. Not even close. No, it's in the 2-8s. Not even close. He's been great, and this is someone that both of us said during the offseason, we want Adam Adovino. He's just a really solid relief pitcher, and we've seen it all year. Especially as such a comfortable guy to have as like your third or fourth best reliever, given Sick. given a healthy bullpen. It's incredible. Adam Adovino has allowed one earned run over his last 18 appearances and has stranded his last six inherited runners on base. Which is really impressive. Inherited runners are kind of almost supposed to come home, and he has just been locking them down. He's awesome. I mean, again, he's not awesome. There have been some instances this year where Adovino has allowed some runs to score, but the fact that this guy is a phrase we also like to use a lot, A-team bullpen, B-team bullpen, C-team bullpen, Adam Adovino is running the B-team right now, and he's been very, very, very good at it. He's been awesome. We tacked on two more later in the game. Eduardo Escobar, who had been kind of ice cold, I think is a nice way to say it. Yeah, he had a sacrifice fly early in this game, so now they made three RBIs for Eduardo Escobombs, another nickname for you guys, even though he hasn't had that many home runs this year. Some we still like to call him because it flows off the tongue. Broken over 26, though, for Eduardo, so happy to see him get off the schneid. And the Mets win another series. Mets win another series. Take it. Yeah, give a high five. First, first series for the Mets Up Boys being the official podcast of the New York Mets, and we get a win. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Take a deep breath. Everything's going to be okay. We're going to be good. Yes. I, that was important to us. We need to get that series win for the first episode. And also very important to the fans of City Field. Shout out to all you guys because there were great crowds for all four games of the series. There's a very good chance on a Monday afternoon that we were not going to have a great crowd. I was shocked how many people were here. It was This was one of the loudest, more like, like not loud like as terms game loud, but like chatter loud I've heard for any game this entire season. Very good crowd today. Shout out our friends that we made in section, I believe, 114. Yep. Elon and Mark. Mark with a C as well, the right Mark, way. Mark with a C as well. They were, they were they lived in Westfield for a period of time, just like we did, which was kind of hilarious, giving us a shout-out, being shocked that we were the official podcasters <laughs> of the New York Mets. That was fun to interact with the fans. Yeah, it was pretty cool to see our promo go up on the board and then have like people on Twitter tweeting uh, yeah. at us, at Mets Up, or at our personal accounts, being like, hey, look at the, this. is sick. This is so cool. It's really awesome that you guys are also excited because I don't know if you can tell, we're pretty excited to be doing this. 
Yeah, pretty exciting. And then a couple more stats to just wrap up this series. We saw a lot of run scoring opportunities being cashed in by Francisco Lindor and Pete Alonso, as they've done all season with Starling Marte and Brand Nimmo getting on base, seemingly at will ahead of them. Francisco Lindor and Pete Alonso at the end of play on Monday have combined for 116 RBIs this season. That is by far the most of any duo in all of baseball, ahead of Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, 103 RBIs, and Aaron Judge and Anthony Rizzo at 98 RBIs. So just our best players playing their best baseball, catalyzing us to more victories. Lindorks are furious right now. The guy's, just, the guy's just really good. I don't know how many times we have to tell you he's one of the best shortstops in baseball. Everybody vote Pete Alonso, Francisco Lindor, Brandon Nimmo, Starling Marte, Mark Hanna, Jeff McNeil, and Luis Guillorme for the All-Star yeah, game. Yeah, we really want Guillorme to get in there. If you can write him in, find a spot for him. If we just get Luis Guillorme, Guillorme mentioned for getting votes, I think that's a win. Get him on a board, anything. <sighs> be sick. Buck, get him, you, imagine getting him into the final vote. Oh, that'd be sick. That'd be <laughs> Did you hear Buck before the game? He was talking about that they think in the All-Star game there should be a utility position that should be voted on. He's like, they're extremely valuable to these teams, and I don't know why it's just kind of been pushed to the side. That's also a, like a big piece of modern baseball, too. Almost every team has one of these guys on their bench that could play like either every outfield position or multiple infield positions just because having that will allow you to carry an extra pitcher. We know how badly every single team wants to carry an extra pitcher in modern baseball. Yeah, and you talk about pitching, too. The Mets have been great. That was their 11th shutout of the year, tied with the Yankees for the most in baseball. They only had eight all of last year. We're here on June 20th, and they have 11. The pitching has been lights out along with great offense. And great bullpen. But I want to throw it back to that starting pitching because we on this podcast, if you guys heard us, were a little bit nervous about how our pitching was going to stack up with Max Scherzer going down only about a month ago at this point. Yeah. But a great month it has been because Carlos Carrasco, Taiwan Walker, David Peterson, and Chris Bassett are four pitchers that we saw in this series all have really, really stepped up in the wake of Max Scherzer's injury. Carrasco's won five games since since Scherzer went down. Taiwan's won four. Peterson's won three. The ERAs, Taiwan has a 2.48 ERA since Max Scherzer's injury, and all of them are giving us at least five, six, or even seven innings per start over that stretch, saving our bullpen, allowing us to kind of work these bullpen games into the schedule, just getting the team in position to win seemingly every single night. You can't understate how important this starting rotation has been to the Mets' success without their two best guys. I'm going to give you a few baseball buzzwords here. Gutty performances. Gutty performances, Gutty yeah. performances by these Mets starters. And it's nice, too, because Scherzer is making his uh, rehab start either this week, I think, in I Binghamton. Know. Is that official yet? Tuesday in Binghamton. Tuesday in Binghamton. And he's Max pitching Scherzer. to James McCann, which is yes. also cool, because that's a cool way to get them back in the flow of things. Can't wait to get Max Scherzer back. And Jacob deGrom's been at the stadium throwing, doing stuff all over the place. So oh my we're hope, we hope to see him back soon, too. Praying. And then just one thing that I've noticed, too, we talk about the catching James McCann, just mentioned his name. How about Tomas Nito? He's been catching an insane amount of games, and it's I don't think any detriment to Patrick Mazika. I think it's just more of a boost, a little bit of a compliment to Nito. The pitchers love throwing to him. I think Bassett gave him massive praise before or after his last start, saying that Nito is one of the reasons why he's able to be so successful. While Nito's numbers may not light it up on the page, on the stat book, defensively what he's been able to do as a catcher, he's been so immensely valuable to this team. And also hitting in the nine spot, he's been able to work some walks, flip over that top of the order. I mean... His numbers aren't going to make you excited, but he's been having an impact on this team. No, especially his, the way he, his approach runs the scoring position has been very impressive. And how often do you look back at the series, especially a four-game series, and you see that one guy caught all four games? Yeah, not many war. times. The guy's a warrior back there. Absolute beast. Shout out to Tomas Nito. He's been, like you said, a warrior. <clears throat> 
Now, we do have a little bit of a short game series coming up here. We're yeah. going to talk about the Astros series out in Houston, two games. So we went from a four-game to a two-game series now. What are the pitching matching matchups looking like, James? Pitching matchups Tuesday night, we're going to have Trevor Williams going against Jose Urquidy. And Wednesday afternoon, 2-10 start, 8-10 on Tuesday, 2-10 on Wednesday. Carlos Carrasco versus Luis Garcia. Now, I'm not sure how Urquidy's been pitching this year. Urquidy has not been pitching that well, but Urquidy is a guy who is he I will call him a kitchen sink guy kind of like I just said for Braxton Garrett but the stuff is a better across the board Akiti has a very 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 good circle changeup from the left side he's not really going to scare you though with velocity or breaking stuff but that changeup is very good the Mets have struggled a little bit this year against kind of soft throwing lefties Akiti Akiti was this is going to sound kind of crazy Akiti was kind of just like built in the Astros pitching lab they kind of designed every single one of his pitches to have like perfectly aligned movement in terms of what modern baseball seeks so you're going to see, like, he's going to break off good sliders. He's going to break off good curveballs. Again, changeup is the weapon. Fastball has good ride, has a good shape. It's not really thrown in a way that's going to make you very scared of it. I don't think the Mets can hit Jose Arquiti. I'm a little worried about the Astros hitting Trevor Williams, though. Yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> Jordan Alvarez still has a sore hand. That'd be great. He's not playing in this game because Jordan Alvarez is hitting, like, I think it's 415 since the beginning of May. I mean, this entire Astros lineup is loaded with Jordan Alvarez, Kyle Tucker, Alex Bregman. I mean, the list goes Jose on Altuve. and on. Yeah, Jose Altuve. How could I forget him? I mean, the list goes on and on. The team is absolutely loaded. Michael Brantley, probably one of the most boring players, but he's great. And a big part of this Astros team is that this year they have one of the best bullpens in baseball, something that they've always had good bullpens the last few years, but it's been a lot of like pop-up, like little Astros guys that come out of nowhere. This year, Mets fans are going to really hate that they've turned Rafael Montero into a bona fide <laughs> weapon out of the pen. They signed, I believe, Kendall Gra- Graveman, too. No, Graveman was there. He's with oh, the yeah, White now Sox he's the White Sox. Now. Here. Yeah. That. Ryan Presley in the back end is lights out. He's an incredible reliever. This team, Hector Neri's old friend, as we predicted last year, the Astros have fixed him pretty, pretty easily. He's also very good. So if you do fall down early to this Astros team, I think they have the highest bullpen K rate in baseball and top five bullpen ERA. Oh, yeah. Very, very good. And then coming on Wednesday's game, I think Luis Garcia is a very fun pitcher. Rock the baby. Yeah. he. If you guys want to see rhythm, Luis Garcia has rhythm. Yeah. If you're either going to love watching him pitch, or if, if, you like guy, if you like the Juan Soto shuffle, you'll probably like Luis Garcia rocking the baby. The salsa. He's, he's a little Johnny Cueto-ish in how he just tries to change up his rhythm a little bit. Or you're going to hate him and you're going to say, throw the ball. Stop messing around. He's also built like a linebacker. He's a big He's dude. one of the thickest, thickest boys in all of baseball with some really fun, like, curly, long hair coming out of the back of his hat. Again, hasn't been as good this year as he was when he burst onto the scene as a rookie. His big pitch is a cutter. Ball's going to be in play. Yeah. The Astros play generally good defense. I'm just hoping that the Mets can kind of jump out in front of them. And sad, sad end, bit, a little bitter, bittersweet to throw in a word that we've, we use a lot in this podcast. The Mets are going to miss Jeremy Pena in the series, who's on the IL with, I believe, a thumb. Talented player, yeah. Very talented player. One of the best young players in all of baseball. Was in the catbird seat for Rookie of the Year. We'll see how quickly he comes back, see if he can secure that award. But bittersweet that you're going to miss watching one of the most exciting young players, but you're not going to have to face one of the most exciting young players. Last shout-out I'm going to give is a personal one. Shout-out to Brandon Belak, who I played baseball with throughout high school. He's on the Astros. He's a Jersey kid. So that'll be cool to see him pitch against the Mets. And hopefully we rock him. Sorry, Brandon. But I hope we hit you. Belak was one of, I believe, 10 or 11 pitchers all season last year, relief pitchers, to have at least a 20% whiff rate on three different pitches. Listen to these stats that we're dropping. Crazy. We got all the stats for you guys. If if you're trying to learn a little bit about baseball, I won't get the recap with the Mets. This is your spot. Definitely. And... As a close, something we we're gonna try and like give a shout out some new segments this episode. 
we're gonna we're gonna be at more Mets games. We're gonna be in the ballpark a lot more. We're gonna try and shout out the craziest jersey that we see from every single series. And Mark today saw what I think is one of the craziest jerseys that has ever graced City Field. Yeah, I was walking across the Shea Bridge. I didn't talk to the guy. Probably should have. Probably should have got his name so I could give him a shout out. That was a botched job by me. But I stopped in my tracks because I saw a James Loney jersey. James Loney, who is someone that I think we joke about on this podcast yes. many of times that he was a first baseman for this team. I don't even know where you buy one of those. That feels like you have to do a custom job. Is he a Loney family member? That feels like you got that jersey that August he was on the team, and they were just like trying to pump things out and sell things. You know how great this Mets organization is at making money. This is a well-run organization we got going here. You got James Loney on the team, someone who... It's not going to be the team very long. You sell that jersey. And this guy bought one. Maybe, yeah. maybe he made a pick that game. Maybe he had like a walk-off <laughs> hit that game or something, and the guy like made a bet like behind with you. Yeah, that could be like my Trevor May bet. where If, Trevor James, May, if James only gets a hit here, I'm buying the jersey. Yeah, the Patrick Mazika tweet. I'm good for one of those once a year. Patrick Mazika, my first son will be named Patrick, in case you guys didn't know that, because <laughs> he hit the home run. Against the Mariners. Against Andres the Mariners. Munoz. Andres Munoz. Ugh, man, I'll never forget it. It's, it's going to be etched in the history of my family till the end of time. But, I mean, first episode with the Mets. First time in the new studio-ish. I don't know if we're going to be here all the time. We no, might be moving around. We're here today, though. I think it's the Seaver room. Yeah, it's great. I'd love to be associated with Tom Seaver as much as physically possible. <laughs> uh, we're super excited. We're super fortunate that the Mets reached out to us and wanted to be a part or have us be a part of their family. Uh, couldn't be thankful enough. We have so many exciting things coming this week just alone. We have interviews with Todd Zeal and David Cohn coming out later this week. We went around and asked fans about their black jerseys. We were talking to players like Adam Adovino, J.D. Davis, Dom Smith on the field, asking them some questions. The amount of content that's going to be coming from this podcast just got, I mean, significantly bigger. Exponential. We're not even going to be in charge of that anymore. No, it's going to be nice. We get to just be behind the camera and have fun and give you guys good quality stuff. And, I mean, before we leave, I know you're about to sign off, I do want to shout out a few of our fans that we ran into on Saturday. Yeah. I believe Tyler, one of their names, we saw a Tyler and a Randy. Yes, which, shout out to you guys. Uh, we want to see you guys. If you're at the ballpark, make sure you're letting us know when you're there. We're going to be, at least one of us, almost at every game as much as we can. James has a job. I do my YouTube thing. So, while we're there, if you see us, say what's up. Take a picture. Say hi. Ask us a question. We love talking about the Mets. We love talking about baseball. And we love interacting with you guys, the fans at home. Absolutely. And that's the whole point of the show. We kind of want to be like an intermediary between like you guys and the team because we are you guys. We are fans. We've been Mets fans since we were literally infants. We've been coming to games from New Jersey, taking that ridiculous hour and a half commute back and forth. Summers in college, summers in high school, weeknights, Sundays with our family, our dads, our moms, my sister, every single thing. We have been with this team since we were conscious human yeah. beings. And the fact that we've had this opportunity is incredible. And we want this to be something that Everybody, you guys especially, can be happy about, can be proud of, and can interact with. We'll say this. We are going to get you guys involved in a lot more episodes, too. So keep an eye out for our Twitter or our Instagram, wherever it's going to be, at MetsUp. Make sure you're following us everywhere. We're going to be doing a mailbag episode as well coming up, too. So make sure you get us your questions. And also, we're going to talk about crazy jerseys. A little call to action, you guys. Send us either the craziest jersey that you guys have or the craziest one you've seen. Maybe if you snapped a picture. I have a picture of a guy who wore a Dan Worthen jersey a few weeks ago because I have the Jeremy Hefner jersey. So I'm, I'm, a big, I'm a big nerd for pitching coaches. So if you guys have a crazy jersey you've seen, have a crazy jersey you have, throw that in the comments on the tweet for this episode. I think that's a perfect way for us to wrap up this episode. Guys, thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for watching. If you're over on YouTube, we really do appreciate it. Make sure you're following us everywhere at MetsUp. You can follow me at GiraffeNeckMark, James at... James Shiano. Yeah, no more uh, no more the other name. He's now at James Shiano. And thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We'll see you on the next episode of the Messed Up Podcast. Peace out. Peace out, guys. See you next time. <laughs>